I don't want people thinking you don't actually like Rolnecks. I'm only half joking. I don't want people thinking you have an actual agenda against clothing that I freely wear. You wait until I buy one. That's true, actually. Break the internet. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast in Ring FC. I'm Misa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm locked down. How are you? Shut down. Ring, 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 and it's shut down. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. So yeah, I am honestly a little bit anxious because even though this lockdown is not as restrictive as the last one, I think it just brought back those memories of the last one. It's so strange. It's like it's not as severe as the last lockdown we had, but I guess it just sort of set me back a bit. It was obviously Halloween weekend, so I avoided all public spaces. Oh, you didn't even dress up? <laughs> well, I'm always dressing up to an extent. I mean, I uh, I dressed up as a as a straight white guy with a podcast. It scared the shit out of everyone. <laughs> That's the terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> just walked through Prenslau Berg, and everyone was just like, "Ah, it's just got a podcast. Run, run!" Ah. <laughs> oh my goodness, I, I did dress up. Watched a bit of football. Sat in. Did a bit of writing. A good productive. Not the healthiest weekend from a consumption point of view. Terms Who cares? Of YOLO. Yeah, it's true. Anyway, still. YOLO anymore. What are we getting into today? Bit of Premier League. Yep, yep. Even when it's not at its most exciting or exhilarating, it, keeps to, it seems to keep throwing up some really interesting stuff at the moment. Can I say this as well about the Premier League? We're only seven games in. Yeah, I know. If someone said to you, like, oh, how many games have there been in the Premier League? You'd be like, 11. You'd be 11. You'd be ah, oh, 11. Because it feels like more. Like, there's so much has already happened in the space of this short season, we're barely mm. into it. Nothing, nothing's happened yet and everything has happened. Oh, how poetic. It's almost like you wrote, po- you write poetry, Musa. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Good you. Lord. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to talk a bit about Premier League. Then we're going to talk women's FA Cup. Yep, yep. Women's FA, it was la- well, last season's FA Cup final on the weekend at Wembley. Mm. Uh, and then we'll pick on a couple of games from around Europe. We obviously started last week's show with the Classico. This week is Bayern Dortmund. Mm. Well, Dortmund buying, and we'll be talking about that. I imagine on next week's show quite heavily at the beginning. Mm. Some interesting results in La Liga, which we'll yep. touch on, and Serie A. Any admin we need to do before that? You've got a piece going up on the ring of this week. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, Real Madrid this week. If I oh, can see, yeah, looking at Real. Yeah, yeah. Stadio outros playlist on Spotify. Search for Stadio outros. All of the stuff we play out on will go into that newest one at the top. And our theme music is for sale. We're donating all the money, all the information about the organizations that we're donating to is on there. You can go to stadio.bandcamp.com, minimum of three euros. You can pay what you like. And the only other thing is that, you know, we're not the only people going into lockdown now. And obviously for us, it doesn't change a huge amount in terms of our work structure. It's obviously election week in the US as well. Yeah. Yeah. So we understand that that is going to add a hell of a lot more stress for a lot of people in the US. So wherever you are in the world and whatever the current situation is, we do genuinely hope you're doing as well as possible. And depending on how these lockdowns roll out across the world, we will do what we can in terms of trying to do some more stuff. Maybe we'll do some more stadio sessions if we can. Or as we mentioned, we will have a load of conceptual episodes coming soon. If football does shut down, don't worry, we'll be rolling out loads of those. So if you're unaware of them, if you only listened to us since joining the ringer go back and check the stadio feed or if you're actually on the ringer there is a piece i think when we joined the ringer there was a piece picking out some of the conceptual episodes so yeah anyway we hope everyone's doing as well as possible and staying safe and well and that is the end of my ted talk so let's get (laughs) to the football after this this episode is brought to you by cars.com When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 
miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Are you shimmering over? I'm just, ha- I'm just happy. I'm happy because football was the winner this weekend. Football was the winner, Ryan. <laughs> I know this is an audio format, but I'm shaking my head because this is yet more evidence, listeners, <laughs> of uh, the pure hiding in plain sight that I have to deal with on a weekly basis, <laughs> twice weekly basis with this, uh, with this gentleman. Gentleman's generous. Yeah, well, you know, might as well <laughs> contribute to the narrative. Do you know who wasn't a gentleman this weekend? Who? James Ward-Prowse. But that's been, listen, okay, this performance against Villa has not only been coming for a while, he's been doing it for a while. So yeah. it was, I, I noticed him, it was like when he was like, when he first came into the first, he was like either 19, 20, I'm not sure. And his free kicks, set piece delivery was always outstanding. Like he was a continual feature. You know, the whole fantasy football thing, like fantasy league, he always popped up in the assist columns. I started actually watching him and I started thinking, this guy is like an incredible tool. You know, we discussed um, Gabby at Atleti. Yes. Uh, about how he's the soul of Atleti and how Ward Prowse is kind of the absolute guts of Southampton in a, in a, in a different, slightly different operationally, but in terms of his role yeah. and his integral part in this team, I bet Hasenhutl turned up, having known about him and saw him in training and thought, oh my God, yes, we're in business. I reckon Hasenhutl took one training session with Ward Prowse and was like, we're going to really achieve so much with you in this team. And credit to Southampton because where they came from, after the 9-0 against Leicester, a lot of clubs would have sacked Hasenhutl within a few games of that. Now, look, you've, all, you've been a, a really close observer of his work for a long time, Hasenhutl, and, and you helped us all in your words to, to him and his, his qualities. But Behave. I'm just really, no, no, I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy after a week like this, a weekend like this, that people are seeing the quality. And this isn't the case of Villa doing a bottle job. It's not, it's actually what happens when you come up against a really strong side, easing into form, and this is a fair result. And I'm kind of glad it ended 4-3 and not 4-1 or 4-0 because I don't think Villa deserved that either. That makes sense. No, and Dean Smith made a really interesting point after the game. He said that if the amount of injury time had happened at the end of the game that he feels that there should have been mm. then he, he thinks they probably could have gone on to win it let alone draw it which mm. is which is I mean it's big talk but I think that goes to show Villa's progress I think what we're seeing here actually a little bit of a side point from the game yeah I think managers are way more accepting and in tune to how wild the season is going to be than fans are yeah yeah from a results point of view yeah yeah that's fair there was something Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said after the Arsenal game as well. I think he got asked a question about their, is he worried about their home form? And he said, to be honest, home away, it doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah. It's all just a run of fixtures. I think that's a really interesting point. And I think apart from the sides that have the absolute best quality squad, you're seeing really good coaching come into its own a little bit here because you, you're, you're removing a variable that a coach can't control. Mm. And, and maybe Brighton is a good example as well, actually, but from another sense in terms of, consistently pretty good performances, mm. but just missing out on results. The depth, yeah, just the squad depth. The reason I mention that is because I think that, you know, Villa have lost two on the bounce now, but I don't think Dean Smith is going to walk away from that. I mean, well, conceding seven as well in those two games. That's the, I think that's the thing that will worry Dean Smith. I don't think losing the game so much will bother him. Obviously, he'll be bothered, but I don't think he'll be bothered in the wider context of the league because he would have felt, okay, I've lost to Bielsa and Hals and Hoodwell that's not really anything to get too wild about. I think one thing he can look at is the space in front of the back four. You mean the space that I would operate? Exactly, get Ryan in. Give it Ryan to the end of the season. Get Ryan. They considered three goals from that space in front of the back four, two concessions of free kicks, and mm. then the, the wonder strike from Ings. If Villa have any homework, it's in that area. And that in a way, and it, 
in a funny way, that's what you'd expect with Villa. There is a trade-off playing the game they play. And maybe that defensive midfield heft against a team that presses that well is a potential issue. I think that's a really interesting point because I think that that, that doesn't necessarily transfer into statistical mm. stuff. Because basically like the Southampton scored four on 0.68 expected goals tally. Right, right. Which is wild. But it was very much like, you know, when we spoke about defences being exposed because of a lack of protection. Mm. It not, doesn't necessarily create chances directly, but it will create chances indirectly. Yeah. It creates alternate pressure points on the team. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And especially when you've got someone with the, the ability of James Ward-Prowse from set pieces, that's going to cause them problems. But all of Southampton's goals were brilliant, I thought. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely brilliant. And actually Villa's goals too. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And they were like, this is the thing. These teams are playing such good football. And this is like a throwback to the 80s, actually, when Villa and Southampton mm. were this exciting consistently and playing great football. And, you know, it's really something when you can look at a weekend and be fairly confident that Villa Southampton will be one of, if not the most entertaining fixtures. That's a great place for the Premier League to be in, I've got to say. And even if you think Newcastle Everton, I really enjoyed as well. Newcastle Everton was interesting because, I mean, I know Everton were missing a lot of players, but. What was funny with that, that's the, that's the Newcastle I was talking about. Mm. That's what they have. You know, Wilson breaking for St. Maximum. They have the speed, they have the skill, they have the players and the chemistry, actually. They have really good attacking chemistry. They're just sometimes reluctant to use it. And I don't want to knock Steve Bruce too much. I just feel like there's an element of having a bit less caution and perhaps it's because Everton are missing players. And I have to keep reiterating that because people look at that result and be like, oh, Everton are falling off. No, they're not. Like, they're missing. No. Integral. I mean, Richarlison was out. Dean was out. Hammers would Hammers really goes out. It's a completely yeah. different team. It's a completely different team. There was that amazing stat that was going around after the Manchester United-Arsenal game that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has lost as many home games as Manchester United manager Steve Bruce has as Newcastle manager. Which is funny because I look at Newcastle at home and I weirdly think, watching Newcastle play at home, I always think you should have a better record than this. Because there's, there's very often a point in Newcastle home games where the initiative is kind of conceded. You saw it against United, actually. Newcastle looked quite decent early on and you almost feel if they were a bit bolder at home, that record would be much better quite quickly. Yeah, I think they're also missing the crowd a lot. Well, missing a lot at St. James's Park. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah um, of course. But before we go on to that, let's, let's just go back to and wrap up Villa Southampton quickly. Because sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Villa were on a maximum record and lost two in a row. Do you think that it's anything to be worried about for Dean Smith? Because it's starting to normalise a tiny bit if you think Liverpool are now top, Spurs are second, Everton back-to-back defeats as well. <laughs> I had a message from my friend. Shout out to Martin. Martin over in Belgium who uh, and, and, and the kids as well. Martin Tess from the kids. Martin dropped me a line and said, ah, oh, Musa, there have been statement victories in the Bundesliga uh, for teams like Gladbach, but at the same time, the Premier League is kind of returning to normal, isn't it? And I think, I think Martin makes a great point. Like, um, this felt like a worryingly normal result, if that's anything. Like, I think when you're a team that hasn't won for a long time like Villa, I mean, you haven't won a, like a title or, or kind of, a, there's a danger of reversion to the mean. There's a danger of losing aspiration, right? Mm. And the key is to be aggressive in the next fixture, I think. Oh, and they got Arsenal away next Sunday. See, I think they need to go after that. I think they'll cause Arsenal some problems, to be honest. And I think whatever happens in that game, I think if they come away with less than a win, they need to normalise coming away from a game like next week, feeling disappointed if they don't win it. Mm. Does that make sense? Like, you need, and that's the thing about championship aspiration. You've got to have that sense of whenever you drop points, it's, it's a terrible thing. It's a bad thing. Do they have championship aspiration though currently? Really? I think, to be honest, I think you kind of need to. I, I think, think everyone needs to. Yeah, I think it needs to be. I think, I think anyone in the top six needs to be like, this is the season we do it. This is the season anything can happen. So why, why should it not be us it happens to? I think that needs to be the mentality, to be honest. We're about a month away from Ralph Hasenhutl's second anniversary as Southampton manager. The thing about Ralph Hasenhutl, which I really love, is that, like you said before, when you mentioned the 9-0, it's something that a lot of people just don't really want to mention anymore. So much of football is reactive. And basically, I think that the great thing about Southampton is that they clearly knew there was a process. Yeah. Sticking with Ralph Hasenhutl, I think, was such a major decision because Southampton, for the first time, I think we said it maybe since Poch, not even, I wouldn't even class Ronald Koeman in this, to be honest, even though I think Koeman did a decent job at Southampton. But I think since Poch, it was the first time they had a manager which was 
a manager who you could imagine gradually building a Southampton side that was regularly in the top six, top seven, top eight. Yeah. What Ralph has done so far has been overall, I think, such an amazing job at Southampton. People forget how doomed they were. They were doomed. Yeah, they were in trouble. Southampton were absolutely doomed. Like we were talking about them like in terms of, and this was like fairly circumspect, fairly calm commentators were going, no, this, they were sinking fast. And he brought them in with, you know, the aggressive pressing, the commitment. And I, I think actually weird enough, the 9-0, and I've talked about statement victories. I want to add another footballing cliche, cathartic defeat. So sometimes a defeat is so exhaustive and so terrible that it's the making of a team mm. because it exposes exactly the flaws. Everyone takes individual and collective responsibility and you hit the absolute bottom with it and you're like, oh, okay, like this is what everyone has to do individually and collectively. And you build back from that. And the beauty of a cathartic defeat is that for the next five or six games, no one takes you seriously. Mm. And I think the 9-0 had a similar effect on Southampton. People kind of were like, oh, well, we can have our best with them as opposed to thinking this was a team rebuilding up against the most vampiric team, the most atleti team in the Premier League. Like Leicester will do that to anyone on any day. I mean, to be honest with you, Leicester could have won, they could have won the Classico, to be honest, playing that way. Like peak Leicester playing that way can destroy pretty much any team in Europe on their day. Oh, yikes. That's a big shout. <laughs> no, they, they can, they can. If peak Leicester played against a weakened Bayern, you know that the fragile Bayern that we saw in like the second week of the season. Basically, Leicester are kind of like a kind of, they're like a Hoffenheim, they're like an evolved Hoffenheim. They're just a side you don't want to play. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. a side you don't yeah. want to play unless yeah. you are anything other than your best, for sure. So yeah. I, think, I think they actually did Southampton a favour in the long term, weirdly enough. Anyway, that's my view. The cathartic defeat. <laughs> the cliche for you. We had a question from Caleb Percheck who said, could Okwanga give an example of a victory that isn't a statement victory and why this weekend? Because I'm about to move on to a big, big, big old statement victory. Do you know what wasn't a statement victory? Four games on Saturday, I think, were not statement victories. Dortmund beating Bielefeld was not a statement victory. No, I think the four Premier League games on Saturdays, none of them were statement victories. It was yeah. very much As you statement were. victory Sunday, but non-statement victory Saturday. I don't think, you know, City 1-0 away, away at Sheffield United, not a statement victory. Chelsea no. beating Burnley 3-0, not a statement victory. Although, no. Chelsea were good. Maybe we'll touch on this briefly before we move on to the Sunday games because Lampard has been listening to Stadio for some reason and is <laughs> trying to convert Kai Havertz into a number eight. I think it works if they're going to play a 4-3-3, to yep. be honest, because when you're a roaming number 10 kind of player, you can kind of play a number eight. Mm, yeah, true, true, true. The positions on the pitch I feel that you operate are, aren't usually dissimilar. It's not like playing right back. Yeah. But yeah, Kai... I think has the, it's very much like when Julian Brandt dropped into the deeper Dortmund midfield. Right. Because they're big dudes. They're yeah. big dudes and they can handle themselves in midfield. Like Kai can look after himself in a deeper role and, and get involved. And I think that he's, he's starting to look a lot more comfortable. I think you've noticed that with how little people are talking about him anymore. Yeah. In terms of will he, That's won't right. he. And the yeah. same with Werner in a way, to be honest. I think people have hushed on Werner. And Chelsea, so much better now. You've got, you've got players back like ZX starting getting his first Premier League goal after getting his first Chelsea goal in midweek. To be honest, if I'm being a little bit harsh on Chelsea, this is the kind of game that they shouldn't even really need to talk too much about if they have genuine hopes of challenging. Absolutely being, right. Being Burnley 3-0 away. Okay, so uh, an example of um, a non-statement victory, Atlanta beating Crotone being 2-1 up at half time because that's a game Atlanta should win. It was yep. away, but still. So this is the thing, a statement victory is when, it's either when you win a game, you're not expected to win, and you take points off a big rival, or when you dispatch a team that you should beat and be like, okay, that's how a champion beats a team like that. Mm. So you could, be, you could beat a team that was bottom of the table. If they're a team that are really good at pressing and really good once they go a goal up and you beat them like 4-0, that's a statement victory. Or a statement victory is beating a near rival 3-0. Any victory can be statement. It depends on the context, guys. Tell you what, for, for, for a small additional fee, if we would like to oh, no. have me adjudicate. Wow. <laughs> just like, he's just going to be like whacking Phoenix in Gladiator. Exactly. Is it a statement victory? It's going to be like the thumb horizontally. And <laughs> like, no. It'll be like the Art Decider, the Art Decider Twitter account. Is this art? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a statement. Oh yeah. my God. Should we set up a statement victory Twitter account? Yeah, or no, just, just tweet me and be like, is this a statement of victory, Moose? And I'll be like, yes, no. Uh, Liverpool beat West Ham 2-1. Jota, what a signing. 
Should he be starting? We had a, we had a question from someone saying... Um, no, I don't think so. I think that's, I think Klopp is using him exactly how he should be using him. And I think, look, that's two winners now. Sheffield United and West Ham, big, big winners. This is the thing. This is what I love about really good recruitment mm. and really good squad depth. He is doing at this point, I'm sure, exactly what Klopp was hoping from him. He's come and he's delivered. He's slotted in seamlessly. He's got people talking about should he start? Well, he shouldn't because Firmino's Firmino. So let's, you know, let's... Uh, yeah, but he would also be playing, he'd be playing wide, right? He wouldn't be playing central most of the time. Well, some suggested he should start ahead, which was interesting. Ooh. Yeah, but that shows, it shows how good he's been, though. It shows how good he's been, that he's forced himself into that conversation. Three wins and a draw now for Liverpool out of their last four in all competitions since the loss to Villa. They're getting the hang of the chaos, aren't they? Yeah, and also I think they're just muddling through at the moment. They've, you know, they're balancing a lot of injuries and... I do wonder, I know that there was a lot of pushback on the five subs stuff for the Premier League. I liked it. You liked the five subs? Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't hate it. I mean, I think that maybe, weirdly, I, I'm not sure that the results would have been vastly different in these games. I just think it may have saved more longer term injuries. I think it would have helped some like Bielsa as well. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, man, let's move on to... Is this the first Stadio Derby since we've been at the Ringer? Uh, I think so. I think so. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, if it's not, then oh well. Oh well. First one of this season. <laughs> For the first time in some young Arsenal fans' young lives, the Arsenal have won a league game at Old Trafford. This game is so strange. It was a moment where, you know, we were chatting and we were sort of talking and analysing the game. And I, I remember thinking... I was so desensitized by the kind of lack of quality in the performance that it was hard to analyze it. It was hard to pick up what individual players were doing because I just thought this feels so abject. And Mash St. Paddy tweeted about it. He was like, there's this kind of real pendulum effect on United and how they're perceived. And I said, well, yeah. I, the, way I, the way I'd look at it is actually differently. 2017 season when United finished sixth, but win the Europa League, it's actually like that. We have seen this before where United are very, very strong in a cup tournament, in a cup competition and indifferent in the league. And that is the parallel I would draw there. And, you know, again, to reiterate my point from last week, the reason people have this swing with United is because United themselves have a swing. Pogba looks excellent in the inside left role in the diamond against Leipzig and was as ineffective as I've seen him in this game. And I don't know what it is with United. There's one aspect, there's one great stat uh, that TD over at the ringer pulled up about the sort of the failure of Rashford and agreement to hold up the ball as well as Martial and how that was a big, big miss. But I think there's something else going on with United and it's, it's hard to pinpoint, I don't know if it's Old Trafford on Premier League days. I don't know if it's a structural thing. I don't know if it's a motivational thing. The mark of a good team is a base level, right? It's like uh, when these people, these actors performing in musicals, and they do like six shows a week. Every night you go and see a performer, they're going to be an eight out of 10, eight and a half. Some nights they'll hit 10 and everyone will be like, there's an energy in the crowd. There's an energy in the audience. They'll hit a 10. But United, they have the biggest gap between a peak and a trough of maybe any team in the Premier League. If you're beating Leipzig 5-0 and PSG 2-1 in the Champions League and then turning out a performance like this or the 6-1, then there's something wrong with your your team management, both emotionally from players and, and from the management themselves. There's something just wrong there. Mm. See, I don't think this really falls into the category of the Leipzig or the Spurs game though, because if Arsenal had beaten Manchester United in two of their last three away in the league, I don't think people making that much noise about this game actually. Because I think if you look on the balance of play, I think Arsenal were the better side overall in the sense that even though Arsenal had more of the ball against Leicester, I think Leicester deserved to win. Mm. But United weren't hammered. Arsenal, apart from that opening 20 minutes or so where Arsenal pressed really high and really boxed United in, Gary Neville kept saying, you know, they can't get out, they can't get out United. I thought in a way, even though United couldn't get out, it didn't result in anything. So if, if I was a manager 
whilst United had quite a poor first half in terms of asserting control of the game, they came through it fairly unscathed and Arsenal didn't create a huge amount. I thought Arsenal were the better side, but they didn't blow United away. Well, it's not so much the way, it's the style of the performance. I'm not saying that Oli or that United shouldn't be criticised here. I'm just saying that I don't think this falls really into one of those huge pendulum categories. Sometimes it can just be like, you lose a game. I mean, what were there, two shots on target each? Goodness. I think for the entire game, oh. a total of 15 shots for both sides. I think what Arsenal did well, though, and this is the thing that I would be more concerned about from Manchester United, I think that Arsenal realised a system that didn't really work. You know, Arsenal started the Leicester game with a four. They played 4-3-3. It didn't really work at all. So Arteta switched it immediately back yep. to a system that they played before and regularly. And he made a big call with his midfield. It's interesting that Arsenal's most dominant performance of the season in a midfield sense came from two players who weren't even there playing for Arsenal last season. Yep, yep. You know, El Nenny was on loan. Partey hadn't arrived yet. And I was chatting with Callum Jacobs from Caricom about it. And he said, can you imagine if, we'd, if someone before the season had told you that we'd won at Old Trafford in the league for the first time in 14 years with El Nenny and Partey in midfield? And El Nenny would have actually been the key, as, as great as Partey was, I think he, El Nenny was absolutely brilliant in the game. But fair play to Arteta, like he analysed something and he, and, he, and he went with it. And I think the thing with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is that I think that the diamond worked well against Leipzig and that is precisely why they kept it. However, Arsenal and Leipzig are two very different football teams with very different threats. Yeah. That would be the main concern for me is that United tried a formation and a strategy that worked so well against different opposition in the week with different personnel in that formation. Because you take someone like Martial out of that formation and it's a very different, it changes. You know, Van der Beek was on the bench. I think so much of what made that, that formation work really well were the personnel. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I like, I look, I, I love the formation they chose against Newcastle, the 4-2-3-1, and that worked really beautifully. I th- yeah, I, sorry, sorry to cut in before you go on, because yeah, I sure. know I've talked for a while, but I thought actually in hindsight, and obviously hindsight is amazing, I thought this was a perfect game for Mata. Yeah, and I think what's, um, but United also, one thing I've, I've said, this on, said this on Twitter as well, playing out from the back has been a real problem for United for mm. a long time now. And, you know, our, our keeper doesn't particularly enjoy it. Our centre-backs don't particularly enjoy it. Our full-backs don't particularly enjoy it. There was one moment in the first half where Juan Bissaka looked up ahead of him and then played, you know, it reminded me of, it reminded me of Semedo when he started to lose confidence at Barca. He was reluctant to progress the ball down his flank. And so he played it in field. He played a 30 yard square pass in field. And there's many things you should play from right back position, half Not inch that. and half, but you don't play that pass. That is literally the one pass you do. It was the Danny Alves pass mm. on the stroke of half time in the 2015 Champions League final against Juve when the game was fine and just, you know, had a bit of a, a brain freeze. And you saw a lot of that. Like, this is the weird thing with United defensively, funny enough. We've had, we've got a defence midfielder who tackles as well as any defence midfielder has tackled there in a while. We have a right back who's tackled as well as any right back in recent history. Unfortunately, both those players put additional pressure on themselves because their distribution is not the same level as their tackling, right? So one best second makes these great tackles, but he's making too many of them because he's not progressing the ball properly or in combinations well. And so what happens with United is, you know, we talk about pressure points in teams where there are places you can apply pressure to stop teams playing out. And teams that basically want to hurt United will not necessarily press Fred. They'll stand off him a little or they'll stand off one Bissaka a little because they'll get some joy with the distribution. Mm. Um, and that was a problem for United throughout. The failure to build. I think there's a problem here. And Seb Stafford Bloor tweeted this about, about the aura. Okay, yeah. Interesting that United's results haven't been, nothing's been aura building. I don't think Arsenal have got their aura back yet, but I think that they are very, very slowly but surely nudging it into, a, into more of a place where people are like, oh shit, okay, this is... If you think of the, 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 the tests Arteta has passed since he's been there, beat the champions at home, beat Manchester City in the semi-final of the FA Cup, won the FA Cup, beat Liverpool again in the Community Shield, Yes, has played uh, Manchester City... Manchester United and Liverpool all the way in the league already, even though we've mentioned that playing away isn't the same as it was with fans, but still it's away. Yeah. And Arsenal somehow have the best defensive record in the Premier League. Right. It's these boxes that keep getting ticked, which I think are 
whilst Arsenal still have problems, like we've mentioned, with creativity and stuff like that, I think this is the thing that people used to just take for granted with Arsenal. They can't win away. They can't win against the big sides. They're too easy to break down. And Arteta is slowly building those things back into place. Yes, I agree. The aura is basically under construction. It's, it's not there. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's very much like, I mean, when did Jurgen Klopp really start to click at Liverpool 18 months in? And remember, really? he got hammered when they lost Two to Sevilla. Yeah. When they lost to um, Sevilla in the Europa League final, which frankly, it's no shame in losing to Sevilla in the Europa League final. Do you want to hear a stat? I want to hear it, please. There's a stat. Yeah, go for it. This is a real stat. Opta Rai says, uh, literally every professional football club in Europe has lost to Sevilla in the Europa League final. Who knew that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Opta Rai. stat that, right? Opta <laughs> Rai. Exactly. And, you know, Klopp got absolutely hammered when he was trying to build something in Liverpool, partly because people were afraid of what he could build. Yeah. But Arteta's trajectory is impressive. I've said this before. I really like what he's doing at Arsenal. And he hasn't got the pieces that he wants. When he gets more of the pieces, and you see the point you make with the party and El Nene is the more the team becomes his own, the more impressive the results become and the performances become, in my opinion. Yeah, Tim Cahill said something interesting on Sky after the game where, and I kind of tend to agree with him, and I think this is probably why the Solskjaer stuff gets so, you know, like Mash said, pendulum-y, is that when Arsenal lost to Leicester, yeah. he said that they knew exactly why. Right. And they had changed accordingly. Because every team is going to lose football matches, right? It's just the way it is. This is a tough league without the kind of added advantage of home crowds at the moment. Yeah. You know, anything can happen in a season like this, but still. But he said that when Manchester United lose, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, I can't remember exactly what he said here, but he, if, he basically was alluding to the fact that it's just more questions, more and more questions all the time because they will have these results that are good, but they will have these results who are dreadful and there doesn't seem to be a thread that kind of links everything together. What they want to say as well, it has to be said, um, and you know, Paul Pogba got a lot of criticism on social media, but was also, here's the thing, you compare, you compare best defensive Pogba, the best defensive Paul Pogba I've seen was against Uruguay in the World Cup, against a tough midfield, it was um, Bentancourt and I'm not sure the other. Torreira, wasn't it? Pogba and Torreira, I think. Uh, sorry, uh, Bentancourt and Torreira against yeah. Pogba and Kante. And Pogba had like, what, 14 ball recoveries in the game. Was outstanding. Was the best player defensively on the field. That's peak defensive Pogba. And seeing him in this game, slightly different role. And the game, to quote Daniel Harris, passing him by. It was a concern because looking at his career and assessing it and... You know what it is? It, it, he makes crucial mistakes. If you look at the, these big games, I look at someone like, if you look at someone like Steven Gerrard, for example, Steven Gerrard in a poor Liverpool team for a long time, the greatest compliment you can say to Gerrard is that his level did not drop regardless, you know, like season in, season out, Gerrard would have really strong seasons despite being surrounded by pieces that weren't always the best. Mm. And I think that Pogba's level is too often variable, I have to say. It is too often variable. And I'm not sure what that's rooted in, but it was a thing that you notice and it, it, it's strange because it manifests sometimes as, it's really odd. I mean, Wayne Rooney had a thing where Wayne Rooney basically had, he would go on a run, he would score like six, seven goals in like eight games and be unbelievable. And he had have a couple of games where he wasn't his best, but he got it back. Pogba has a strange thing where he goes through, I think his streaks last long, like he had one point a couple of years ago, he was lights out for two mm. months straight. And I know he's coming back off yeah. COVID. So caveat, he's coming back off COVID. Well, so who yeah, knows? I mean, is this, a, is this a thing that we might need to talk about at some point? Players coming back off after having COVID? Uh, maybe because he was also, he has had great performances since coming back. He's been really strong since coming back. So he's just in a strange, I, I don't know what it is with him actually. Um, but it's, his level is unfortunate. I think it's a bit too variable. If you look at the talent of the player and what his peak is, his performances are too variable too often, I think. I had a question from Cheeky Ball Boys. Congrats to Bob, by the way. Got married on the weekend. Oh yeah, many congrats to Bob and Danielle and Dutch. Shout out to Dutch. They're recovering pug. Oh, the recovering pug. Pug yeah, life. Yeah. yeah, pug life. He said, would it be best for all parties if Manchester United sold Paul Pogba next summer? Gosh, the fact I hesitated. Like, I obviously have a soft spot for Pogba. I think the concern for him is where he goes, actually, weird enough, where he would go. There's PSG, there's Real. I think Real is less likely now, weirdly enough, though I think he'd fit there because I think 
anyone can fit at Real, really. I mean, a Casemiro Crows Pogba midfield is nice. It's tasty, yeah. I think I think if he is looking to go anywhere, I would look at Real or PSG and then use some of that cap to flip for Sancho. I think that's such a deal that suits that would suit a lot of people. Um I don't like it from Dortmund's perspective, but if if United are trying to like, you know, maybe sort of save a bit of cash, I would try and flip Pogba to Real and get some of that cash for Sancho. That's that's the thing I can see making sense. I think for both parties it might make sense just because Someone, someone, I can't remember who tweeted it, but it was like Pogba is so selfless that he knew the side needed a lightning rod <laughs> <laughs> and therefore made the penalty, gave away the penalty. But he came straight out afterwards and like took responsibility for it. And I, I know yeah. it was a lot, but he was like, basically I was a bit knackered from running back and I was a bit lazy or whatever. But yeah. still, I think that, because Bellerin kind of comes out of nowhere. It's not, I don't think it's as catastrophic as a few I don't, people, yeah, a I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think it was that. I honestly, I just think that his general, um, his general game management, given the quality of the player is not, it's not even, even by his own standards, that's the thing by his own standards, it's not where it should be. Yeah. But that's got to be a concern for him at some point, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, wait, let's, should we do a couple more questions on this? First of all, Ali Byrne, did Bellerin's sartorial tucked in shirt slash mustache combo via contribute towards the decision to give away a penalty? Yes, because it gives just a little bit of extra vibes. It feels like a throwback to noble times, like a Phileas Fogg, 80 days around the world. Do you know what? I want to comment on this quickly before we have one more question and then move on from this game because we've talked about it for ages. But Arsenal have a very real possibility of fielding a back four that includes full backs with shirts tucked in and two centre-backs with receding airlines. And I'm absolutely here for it. <laughs> absolutely here for it. Arsenal are single-handedly bringing football back to... 1990s. Yeah. Arsenal are against modern football. <laughs> back to the future. Tucked back to the future. All right, let's talk about Spurs real quick. They beat Brighton 2-1. Gareth Bale's first goal for Spurs, shouted Vamos. After all the accusations of Gareth Bale not speaking Spanish, drops a Vamos. There we go. In the celebration. But watching one to uh, Regulion as well was interesting. Like, obviously yeah. from together at Rail and the way he slid was really nice. We got out. <laughs> and there was, <laughs> but there was something quite... Um, Do you think that was a, sorry to, that was a kind of Paul Rudd look at us moment? Look at us, look at us. I wonder, I mean, because Regulion had a, a slightly better shake of it at Rail than, than Bale did. But what was interesting was, um, I was actually weirdly quite moved by this. Aww. there was something quite beautiful about it. I mean, it was a gorgeous header, actually. Yeah, it was nice. But I was just happy for him. Mm. And I was happy for Spurs. He's someone who's meant to be a factor for them this year. And in this chaotic league, they're looking increasingly well-placed to take advantage of the chaos. Yeah, I mean, Justin Demet said, who are the real Spurs? The team who beat United 6-1 and Southampton or the team who don't show up against Antwerp and keep blowing leads against underdog Premier League teams? I mean... I think it's the former. Yeah. I think because, you know, at the end of the day, it's Europa League, it's travel, it's COVID. Look, look what Lazio had to deal with yeah. against Bruges. They went to Belgium, they were missing yeah, like 12 yeah. players. I mean, look, we don't factor in the anxieties of teams going away in Europe, leaving their families, knowing if they get COVID, they might be quarantined for two weeks. They might be stuck in a country before they get back. We don't, we don't factor in any of that, right? Yeah. And footballers are, they're people that spend a lot of time away from their families anyway, like more than the average worker, more than the average person doing any kind of day job. So when you are in a situation when you're dealing with COVID, it heightens those anxieties. Mm. So I'd be interested to look at away form in Europe this year because some of these big away results, like put it this way, I'm less judgmental of big away defeats than I'd normally be given the state of COVID. So I think the real Spurs is closer to the Spurs that beat United and the Spurs that beat Brighton. That's the Spurs we should be looking at, I think, assessing. Yeah, I mean, the Spurs that beat Brighton, I think we're very fortunate though. I think that penalty on Harry Kane was... Mm, yeah, interesting. Backing underneath someone mm. is really dangerous. Yeah. It's really, really dangerous. And we actually, we actually had a question from Lewis McKenzie who said, is this trend of players backing into a jumping opponent something that should be outlawed? It looks all the world like the offender trying to cause serious injury and seems like an officiating blind spot to serious potential harm. Now, I don't think, for example, Harry Kane is backing into someone to try and injure them. They're trying to get mm. a foul, right? That's the priority. However, I think the problem with the, that football has is that 
the concept of the offensive foul isn't really as prevalent as it has been in other sports. No, that's for, right. For years, unless you literally go in and slide tackle a goalkeeper, you're essentially committing a defensive act mm. in an offensive sense. Yeah. But this concept of buying a foul or an offensive foul, if you like, or offensive, I should say, whatever. Although the foul itself is quite offensive. It's like the defenders getting away with scything someone down while they take a shot. There are these areas that referees just will not give fouls for. And it's super weird. Yeah. In terms of the Kane thing, he's just exploiting the laws of the game, I suppose. If I'm being honest, I think it's one of those things where it is really, really dangerous and it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt someone at some point. But mm. I can't see them... Changing in time soon. Because it's, 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 hard to, it's hard to quantify with a, with a law or a rule. I think it's, um, it's something that is a, it requires a bit of a culture change. And I think that that's something that's not really great in culture football. Change in football. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. Let's talk about the Women's FA Cup final. Yeah, yeah. Which was last season's FA Cup final. Uh, Manchester City beating... Everton, 3-1 after extra time. It was, a good, it was a really good game, huh? Yeah, and it was funny because um, it eventually went as you would have envisaged. Mm. Like, if you basically wrote a match report of the game, they'd be like, oh, I can imagine, I can see that. Because here's the thing, the problem that Manchester City had going to this game was that if any team was well-placed to exploit the blueprint of how to beat them or frustrate them, it was Everton. Mm. So Everton's key striker Govan, who'd actually come off the bench in a couple of games in this, in this tournament so far and had been very effective on the bench, started and was predictably the most dangerous player up front for Everton before she had to go off, withdraw with an injury. It's amazing she stayed on to score even, to be honest, at one point. Could have gone yeah, half time. She, she, yeah, half time it looked like she was done. Because yeah, she yeah. Was right on the stroke of half time. Yeah, and it was funny with City. So City have been frustrated by a couple of teams in the Women's Super League and dropped points. And they're finishing from close range in particular, which we'll get to in a sec, because the fight, actually the clinching goal by Stanway was from close in. That's the kind of range that City have been missing from all season. And the other thing that City were missing slightly as well was chemistry. And that's not a criticism. It's because they've got a lot of new players, a lot of new playmakers in together. They've got, I mean, elite, they've got like Caroline Weir, they've got um, uh, Sam Mewis, Rose mm. Lavelle coming in as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there was a, a consistent issue where the weight on the passing was like a yard too short or a yard mm. too long. And these are the things that you build over time. Like, you know, two months into the season, City will be clicking and they'll be hammering teams. But Everton had this moment, a sweet spot. And I think I sent you a text about it. When Govan put a header wide of the post, it was a difficult chance. And I was like, that's the, that's the chance. Yeah, I agree. That, that's the one. That's the one. And they missed that. It could have gone to 2-1. And that point... Sandy McIver in the Everton goal. Oh, was, player of the match by a mile. Yeah, right. Now, if Everton go 2-1 up against City with McIver playing like that, I think they can do it. Yeah, I don't think it goes to extra time. I think I they win think it so. in normal time, yeah. I totally I agree because Govan had that header, which was like a no-look header yeah. to equalise after, what was it, like an hour? Yeah, the corner. She was anticipating contact, so she turned her head. Yeah, she, she hit her the head, in. head and went in. Yeah, <laughs> which, but, but she made the move she cut to the near post and basically was like, I've got to get ahead on it. Well, I think City massively deserved to win the game anyway. They had, you know, they completely dominated the ball. They had almost 30 shots during the game compared to Everton's 13, 11 on target compared to Everton's three. They were vastly superior, as you would imagine them to be. Yeah. I thought Everton managed the game as best they could, you know, going up against the side of Man City's calibre. This was such a great example of Everton's progress over the last couple of seasons and what their expectations are now this year. They were completely in it and they could have won it. They could have, and, yeah, and they will yeah. feel disappointed not to have won a game, even on, even against Manchester City, who on the balance of play I think deserved it. But that if Everton had gone to one ahead and 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 won the game, you'd be saying it in a sense of well, they actually kind of managed the game quite well and. You know, probably they, they played to their strengths and like countered City's strengths and all of this kind of stuff. One thing I want to say, that can I just add something very quickly about this? Because um, when Sam scored a header from a corner and it was sort of looked fairly uncontested, but I said, we have to pay attention to the fact that Everton have basically been chasing for 40 minutes. Like, mm-hmm. I think sometimes in games generally, like whichever level of football you're watching, you'll often be like, oh, that they've switched off at a corner. I would just like to draw attention to, and I'm not saying that I'm trying not to try and defend people that like, you know, get slack at corners, but 
we sometimes fail to realise what, what the psychological and mental game football is. And the mental, not only the physical exhaustion of chasing the ball for 40 minutes, where you're constantly on. Like some might say, oh, you lost your player at the corner. Well, actually, you've been marking space. The amount of space that Everton had to mark to make City's passes look overhit. So there's a couple of passes where City overhit them or underhit them. And you're almost thinking it's because they're trying to play the ball into spaces that aren't covered zonally. And Everton's zonal marking, I think, fun enough, it made City's passing look worse than it was because City liked to build from deep and the passing angles so often were closed off. Mm. So often they had to go square instead of go diagonal. And I was like, this is like defensively, Everton can look back over that game and be like, yeah, you know, we can take a lot from this. I totally agree. And I think that's what makes it actually for Manchester City way more impressive. Yeah. Everton now will be like, look, we're second in the league and we have got to play on Wembley again because Wembley is like energy sapping. So great, great win for City, 3-1 mm-hmm. to them. Where else shall we, shall we roam? I think we go to Spain. Hey, okay. So David Silva masterclass, Sociedad. Sociedad four. are still top of the league. Four, Sociedad one. four, Sociedad one. This was the worst penalty I've ever seen in my life, by the way. For <laughs> Celta. What is going on? And they checked it with VAR. I, ca- I cannot believe this happened, Musa, right? Honestly. <laughs> I was watching this back and I was like, this actually happened, right? This actually happened. <laughs> Robin Lenormand, he basically slid, got the ball, and then about 40 centimetres later made contact with a player. He got booked for it and they gave a penalty and they sent it to VAR and neither got overturned. I was like, Did that you say is- this- La Didn't Liga. You say that ref- refereeing was experimental. Experimental. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. Do you know why this penalty was, was given? I don't know why this bothers me I, so much. I, but it really I have bothered no, me. I have no idea. You know, this feels like this. Like, you asking me that feels like last night when someone asked me about why people believe conspiracy theories. And I was like, it's not me. It's not my logic. Yeah, <laughs> and I feel true. the same. I was like, it's not me. It's not my logic. Yeah. Well, anyway, I thought this penalty was bullshit. But it, I'm glad it didn't matter because it was so bad that if it had been pivotal, this could have been massive. They were clear by then. They were well clear. Yeah, they were well clear. But it made it 3-1 and then uh, William Jose got a fourth in with about 10 minutes to go. But first David Silva goal. David Silva's just magical again. Mm, open yeah. scoring. Elsewhere, Joao Felix looking dangerous. Uh, we got a question about Joao Felix. Okay. Fergus J Sharp. Why is Joao Felix so angry? Do you know what I thought was amazing? You know, I said last week that Jao Felix has gone like Anakin now. Yeah, getting nasty. Yeah. Where is the Jao Felix who goes and celebrates with his ball boy brother? The wholesome Jao Felix scores a goal, goes to celebrate with his brother, gives him a nice cuddle. It's just so sweet. It's so wholesome. Now he's scoring penalties and he's, and he's frowning. And the way he, la- that was an angry goal. He scored an angry goal. Do you know he why? Did score an angry goal. That was a very angry goal. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. This was an angry goal. So he hit the post of the penalty having scored the first one. And then the anger of the strike. Okay. I don't care what anyone says to me. This man could have gone closer into goal before hitting that. And he hit it early because he was angry. And it reminded me of the other, I would say, slightly angriest player in modern world football, Alessandro Del Piero, because there were times when Del Piero would go through on goal from 30 yards out and hit it when he was one on one with the keeper. He would hit it from 30 yards. And Joao Felix reminded me of that. He did not have to hit the ball from that distance but he ripped it in the corner. That was anger. That is an anger strike. And you know what? I loved it because an efficient Joao Felix is what Morata was meant to be. Like he has the kind of technical abilities of Aval Morata, the link-up play, all of it, but he has the rage, the decisiveness, the efficiency. And I just, oh my God, poor Morata this weekend as well. Did you see? He almost had a goal to slap offside. And his heart almost broke. And then you saw them on the bench, the other bench, they were laughing because it was given. But there was a moment Murata was like, not again. No. No. But Joao Felix is turning into the player that we kind of all hoped when you saw that Europa League run with Benfica. Oh, I absolutely disagree. I think, we're, I think he's turning into a player that none of us hoped for. <laughs> what, no. Actually, when he was playing for Benfica at the time, I don't think any of us were like, he's going to go to the dark side. I hope for it, but I don't want any parts of it. It's very different. So I hope, mm, it, I don't want I, any parts I think of everyone it. was like, this kid is going to be unbelievable, 100%. But he's going to be joyful. He's going to be, look at his hair, celebrating with his brother. Oh, we all love Jao, Jao. And now he's just like, don't fucking patronize me. You know, I like it. I like it because he was in plain sight. Mm, he was in plain sight. Maybe. <laughs> but Simeone's response to his second goal 
was like, yes. <laughs> Feel the power, Jack. Exactly, you know? exactly. Let it flow through you. He's a gorgeous player to watch. He's oh, I love him, man. Atletico in third, behind Real Madrid and Real Sociedad. Now, they're a bit scary, Real, because Aiden Hazard's back and Aiden Hazard looks happy again. He had an angry goal as well. He did. And when he's scoring from that distance with his wrong foot, and you know how you mentioned the Mason Greenwood touch that mm. sets it? There's a moment where he sets the ball with his right foot before streaking with his left, and it's like a gorgeous touch. And I'm like, this guy is... Rail have been kind of a more in a more kind of extreme form of Liverpool. Mm. They've been riding the challenges and just trying to grind results out. But Hazard transforms their forward line. Him coming in for Vinicius. Vinicius is an apprentice. You shouldn't have that many minutes. Not because he's not a fine player, but because it's just a lot of pressure. Uh, for an, a, an apprentice who came off a really nasty injury as well, remember? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Like he shouldn't, he has done really well considering the stage of his development, I think. He's done really well. To have Hazard coming in, that is an entirely different proposition. And that changes the whole picture for Real, both domestically and in Europe. Mm. That makes them a real, real problem for anyone at this point. Do you remember the hot takes we gave? <laughs> yes, I said yes. Arsenal would uh, qualify for the Champions League. Your hot take was Barca might, will win La Liga. Yeah. Barca are already nine points off Real Sociedad. I know. Awful which is not good. And against Alaves, I saw, I watched that game and they looked short of ideas, Ryan. Mm. They had what, goodness how many corners and their failure to play through Alaves. I mean, the concession through Neto of the opening goal was horrifying, the uh, Alaves concession. And, you know, we talked about wasting Messi. Messi looked for the first time, Messi is looking mortal this year. And Frankie de Jong, I mean, we talk about wait, wasting Messi's peak. How about wasting Frankie de Jong's development? Yeah, well, this I thought was the most interesting thing from this game was the fact that Barcelona started with Busquets and de Jong again and Koeman made three halftime substitutions. He hooked Busquets, he hooked Clement Longley and he hooked Dembele mm. for Pedri, Trincao and Pjanic. Yeah. I think this is a glimpse here that Kuman's trying to try and, yeah, he's clocked it. Yeah, yeah. he's clocked it. If he's got any sense, I don't think he'll be starting Bruschetz and De Jong together. It does, doesn't work in that too. I it don't doesn't think. work. And Pjanic looked really good. Can I say as well, Longley, I don't get it. Because they brought on Dest and switched, didn't they? He looked pretty good, Dest as well. Dest is just I mean, a great Dest guy. is great. Like, yeah, Dest yeah. Is, is amazing. Dest loves it. He loves it. Dest is like a guy in any, like, you know, those superhero movies, any mission, yeah, I'll do it. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, come and do it. I'll mm. do it. He'll just, he's always there. I don't know, man. I think, I think now that Bartomeu's gone, Kuma needs to be very, very, very careful. Played six, won two, drawn two, lost two. This isn't good enough from Barcelona, no matter what's no. been going on this summer. The, no. the points that they've dropped, you know, they drew to Sevilla, which was the last point that Sevilla had taken in La Liga. They've lost all of their games since. Sevilla, big catfish potential this season. They haven't won since they beat Levante 1-0 in, on October 1st in the league. I mean, the global catfish index, you've got to say there. It's the, yeah, it's, the cat, it's the catfish pandemic, let alone COVID. <laughs> catfish 19. <laughs> We're still catfish from it all. We all need to lock down. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, but we've all been the catfish. Well, speak for yourself, man. I'm steady. <laughs> Just overachieving. Oh my God. Oh my God. Um, let's quickly go to Germany. No major surprises in Germany, really. No, but I want to give a shout out to Gladbach because I thought this was the, the most statement victory of the weekend. Yes. And they've been on a run, Gladbach. They've had a really impressive few performances. Not necessarily results, but performances. Uh, beating Leipzig 1-0 in Gladbach with the prettiest kit of the season, I have to admit. Their anniversary kit that they played in. A mm, actually, I would, I would disagree. Oh. Southampton's kit against Villa was gorgeous. That was a beauty. Yeah, but you can't really fuck with all black, can you? With black on black. I just thought the sash, the, the Southampton with the sash was strong. I mean, this is Berlin. I see all black all the time. Everyone wears all black. Anyway, but back to you, back to you. Since uh, Well, you know, you just completely shat on that. So uh, I might as well <laughs> put that out then. <laughs> <laughs> Not the most beautiful kit of the weekend. 
<laughs> no, please, please, please. As you yeah, were, no. as you were. Yeah, whatever. Uh, anyway, yeah, so Gladbach beat Leipzig 1-0, whatever. You're not even going to finish your point. See you next week, everyone. Yeah, bye. So devastated, you're not going to mention. No, please, please, talk about the kit. No. <laughs> you're actually- you don't tell me what to do. <laughs> You're genuinely hurt. You're genuinely hurt. Uh, Gladbach beat Leipzig 1-0, which meant that Bayern went top of the league and they did it in a beautiful kit. (laughs) Uh, Hannes Wolf scoring the goal against the club that he is at Gladbach on loan from and celebrated, which I thought was quite nice. Such a big game that it's hard not to. Wins for Dortmund and Bayern. Bayern go top. Dortmund is second on goal difference. Leipzig are third. Um, Leverkusen are fourth. Gladbach are fifth. Some big fixtures coming up as well, so we'll cover the Bundesliga next week. Do you want to quickly do a couple of Serie A things before we bounce? Yeah, have a quick look at Serie A. Um, Milan beating Udinese 2-1. That's great for them. A late win, overhead kick from Zlatan Ibrahimovic to clinch that. Old Zlatan. 39 years old, still doing it, still delivering. And that's big for Milan because had a draw against Roma and Roma pulled them back. So for them to come out and win again was a strong, a strong result. Juve have got Cristiano Ronaldo back and they, he scored twice against Spezia, a 4-1 win. Yeah, they really needed him. Yeah. At- Atlanta did what Atlanta do. Two goals by half time, beat Bretone 2-1. And you're going to save the best for last. <laughs> what is the best for last? What, the Inter, uh, Lazio Torino? Excuse me? Oh, the Murata sorry. No, the Napoli Sass game. Napoli Sass. Well, actually, this game was interesting because... When Sassuolo scored their final goal, so, so, they, I think, so I think Locatelli scored the opener with a penalty. Mm-hmm. And Locatelli basically played at Atlanta and Milan and he's not related to Thomas Locatelli, which I thought was <laughs> weird. But they've got loads of players, Sassuolo. They're a bit like, um, who do they remind me of? Do you know how like the year, almost, not, not like a Leicester to an extent, but you know like the year after Leicester won, everyone realised how good they've been all along. There's an element of that with Sassuolo where They've been brilliant for a while. It's just that we're kind of waking up now. When they got promoted, that was the, I think they beat, they beat like Milan 4-3, which was the first sign they were really like a special team. But they've been bubbling along quietly in the background, but to beat Napoli 2-0, after Napoli's been delivering some of these performances, Napoli have been blowing teams away, especially, you know, they blew away Atlanta earlier just a couple of weeks ago. See, this right here, this is a statement victory. It was only Napoli's second defeat of the season in the league, apart from the Juve game, so. Yeah. Huge, huge win for them. I think the thing with Sass, what you were saying before, though, I think it's just like, the, I think the problem with Sass is that unless you really study Serie A and watch it religiously, mm. I think it can be quite hard to keep up with Sass because everything is possible. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. But they're unbeaten this year in the league. Um, only Juve, Sassuolo and Milan are the three, are the three unbeaten sides in, in Serie A. Sass second, two points behind Milan. Stoppage time of this game, if you've not watched it, Go back and watch from 89 minutes onwards. Yeah. Absolutely wild. <laughs> like the passage, like the whole passage of play for the second Sassuolo goal was probably my favourite few minutes, not just of football, but just of the entire weekend. There was a handball appeal, I think a penalty appeal. When he breaks the score. Opposi- opposition boxes within the space of two minutes and then it came back up the other end and then they scored. The break is so big that you're like, is this offside? You know those ones when you're so, you're so far clear that you're almost looking around going like, it's the John Travolta thing, you know, like, where's everyone in the final third? is doing its bit this year. Five points separate the top nine. All right, man, let's get out of here. We'll be back on Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, more yeah. Champions League. Don't forget to check Wrighty's house on Wednesday. Musa and Jeanette will be on. Can't wait. Don't forget, you can check us on Twitter at Stadio, on Instagram at Stadio Football. Make sure you check the ringer.com forward slash soccer for Musa's piece on Real. Are you doing it on Real Madrid this week, you said? Real, yeah, yeah. Playing out on an absolute trigger. Hall of Famer. Four hero solar emissions. Old, old reinforced thing. Anything else you want to add, Musa? Here we go. I'm good, actually. No, I'm good, actually. I'm good. I'm good for this week. See you Thursday. Yeah! Take care, everyone. See you Thursday. Stay well.